Welcome to the Self You Seek with Dr. Brandon. This podcast might just change your life. I'm Dr. Brandon Doherty, a medical doctor, psychiatrist, business owner, inner guidance coach, and fitness fanatic. On this show, I explore topics and engage with individuals to help you unlock your full potential. My mission is to support your journey towards self-actualization, complete well-being, and a life aligned with your authentic needs. There will be actionable insights, inspiring stories, and I will lean into my curiosity to get the story behind the person, understanding the deep truths and expertise of our guests. Get ready to feel empowered, and if you desire, some information that might just change your life. And a quick reminder, this podcast is not a substitute for medical or mental health advice and should not be treated as such. The content here is for informational purposes only. Always consult with qualified medical and therapeutic professionals before making decisions related to your health and mental well-being. And now for the show. Hello and welcome to this next episode of the Self You Seek podcast. And this is part of our series on recipes for change. And very excited today because we have Leia Santa Cruz as the first interviewee on this podcast. Ooh. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. That's Thanks. an honor to be here with you. Well, I'm very thankful that you've been able to join us. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to this conversation. And it's on radical change. Mm. Uh, well, that's the basis for it. That's where we're going to launch. Now, Leia is a meditation teacher, a speaker, and a coach for the Balance app. And we're sitting here in Bali, and the first thing we want to know is, how did all this come to be? Because it doesn't sound like a Balinese accent to me. Nope. I'm an American, <laughs> but I've been here for about almost seven years. And I wasn't always uh, teaching meditation either. I didn't, like, pop out of the womb this way, <laughs> <laughs> Zen Buddha style. No. Um, I actually have had kind of a wayward path here as as we do in life you know uh, you set out with an intention and life doesn't always work out that way and you you pivot and you make changes and you evolve and you see what does work and that path ultimately led me here um to bali so i uh yeah i actually was always very fascinated by the the mind and our behaviors and i was really curious about human psychology and uh, why do we do what we do? Like, what are, what are we here for? What motivates us? All these big questions were always really deep questions in my mind. And, uh, you know, growing up, I witnessed a lot of uh, people in my world who suffered greatly internally and externally. Of course, it's always a manifestation of what's going on inside. And some of those were family members, some of those were people that I just, I, I witnessed closely and uh, myself too, actually had gone through quite a bit of suffering as a child, having, having had family members, my parents split up when I was quite young and I moved around a lot. There was a lot of impermanence and change and that's not always easy for a child. Uh, and, uh, you know, young parents who were kind of just struggling to figure it out and how how to how to raise a kid when you know they themselves 
didn't have great role models for it. So um, there was some tough learnings for everybody. And that really drew me towards psychology. When I I went on to university, I I studied it and I thought I would go on to be a therapist someday. There you go. (laughs) You know, uh, now I just surround myself with therapists. (laughs) No, I, I, uh, I thought I'd go on to do art therapy because I've always been fascinated with art as a, as a therapeutic means too. Uh, but I went through a, a serious breakup, a divorce actually, because I got married quite young and that didn't work out. And uh, my, um, I found I was repeating a lot of patterns that I saw in my family growing up. And so that led me on a path of... Um, just kind of changing and, and following where the winds took me, which was ended up being in business at the time. So I started working in tech companies in Sa- Seattle, uh, startups, Microsoft. Uh, I was just kind of plunged into a world that was very um, fast-paced, demanding, high-intensity. You know, we wake up with 100 emails that need to be responded to yesterday, and everyone's ungrateful, and there's fire drills left and right. And, you know, surrounded by the most brilliant, successful people. But really, after several years of that, after about five years, like I really felt misaligned with my values and, you know, having been intentional about wanting to help people. And then now in a world where I was making good money, but I didn't feel like I was making much of a difference in the world. And certainly was feeling a lot of anxiety myself and pressure and burnout. So because of what I was going through at that time, as a young adult in my late twenties, I uh, started to go towards anything that would help me. Like what's going to help me feel better inside? I tried medications. That really wasn't the answer for me. And in fact, it ended up exacerbating a lot of the problem that I was dealing with anxiety as the primary suspect. And, uh, so then I turned to exercise thinking, Oh, I'll just run away from my demons. Literally like every morning before work, 10 miles a day before work. Well, I, I got up to that point. It didn't start that way. But, <laughs> but after some time of doing that, I had just worn out the cartilage in my ankles. And it was clear that running from my problems and from myself wasn't really going to work anymore either. So I had to face myself. And the doctor said, go do something low impact. So I started doing yoga. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, yoga led me to meditation And that led me to really listening to the deeper parts of myself that I had not wanted to face, the pain that was underneath, the misalignment that I was living. And it became so obviously clear to me that I had to make massive changes in my life and do the scariest thing possible, which was like to step into the unknown and to trust that I'm resourceful enough to make it work and that, um, and that I'm going to be okay and I can value myself and put myself first. So that was really, really terrifying and painful of a process, you know? Mm. Yeah. But, uh, ultimately, you know, that's what they say. Yoga will, will kind of ruin your life. 
as you know it and replace it with the one that you want to create. And I experienced that for me, especially the meditation aspect, because um, when I finally really listened to myself, I was like, this isn't what my soul wants. And um, ultimately, I did not become a therapist, but pursuing meditation further and further for my own self made me very passionate about the experience of meditation and what it can offer people. And I started to just naturally enthusiastically share it with passion with people and be kind of came known as the meditation girl around my community because I was hosting meditation events and bringing in teachers and, and uh, creating spaces for people to get to know themselves deeper. Meanwhile, still afraid to actually teach it myself, still thinking I'm unworthy of that. That couldn't be me to mm-hmm. learn from. I just curate the community. And ultimately, again, through meditation, listening to the deeper calling of my heart to go, though, this is something that I'm being called towards and I'm terrified of because it requires me to get up in front of people and speak and value myself and believe that I'm worthy. And uh, so that was a whole other journey uh, to step into that. And that was about 10 years ago, 11 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one foot at a time, just continuing to face my fears and continuing to put myself out there has led me from teaching out of a living room and a garage to teaching at public studios in Los Angeles and then leading retreats around the world and then moving to Bali and teaching at the world famous yoga barn here and then starting to work with a meditation app and like see millions of people now you know, tens of millions of people listening to meditations that I've recorded and writing and saying how much it's changed their lives. And there's a lot of fulfillment in this now to go, wow, I'm like really proud of myself for having stepped into like the scariest things possible because look what I've created and what else is possible too. You know, I don't think I'm past all the points of changing and evolving as a human. So that's my long-winded story. It's very inspiring. Thank you for sharing it. And listening to it, you know, the topic is radical change, but what is apparent is that it's a series of iterative changes. And I will ask, you know, was there a big moment where you're like, you know, just dump everything and like had to make the changes? Was there a dark night of the soul or some sort of moment where you're like, this has to change? But you know, what it also is that the, at the same time, it sounds like you just had a calling inside that like things weren't right, particularly in the, the tech world and your job and you'd noticed a lot of unhappy people and there was some sort of deeper calling to have a better life yeah. is what I'm hearing. And then you kind of over time made that, made those adjustments. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Many people are very happy working in that industry and in that environment, and it suits them. Sure. It wasn't aligned for me. It wasn't the environment for me. And I'd known that going into it, you know. So, But, yes, to answer your question, there was definitely a dark night of the soul, and I would say it spanned across multiple years. And it wasn't always heavy and dark all the time, but there was a lot of existential crisis around who am I? What do I want? Um, what's possible for me? I don't know what I'm doing with myself. And, you know, it wasn't a linear path to get here. There was a lot of going back and going forth and making a choice and trying that out and seeing, okay, well, this doesn't work and pivoting, like I said. And, um, 
and ultimately throughout, you know, the big moment, I think one of the biggest moments was leaving my job at Microsoft. That was a huge moment for me and a very terrifying one because I have my family that are super excited to have seen, you know, the first, first child in the family to go to college, first person in my family, the first person to like step into such a role that felt like society's version of success and, um, was living a good life. I didn't have to worry about money. I didn't have to think about, you know, and then to like walk away from that and very quickly go through what savings I had because I was living in Los Angeles and start from scratch. You know, I ended up creating a community center, a nonprofit community center. And it was all about the love and getting people into their heart space and creating these conscious events but I made zero dollars at it. It was really like a labor of love, just a heartfelt like project just to, to do something that I cared about. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and through that, I realized, okay, this is, um, this is great. I'm on the right track, but now I also need to make money and pay the bills. And so um, it was a big step down, you know, to go from making six figures to then, you know, ha- living in a tiny a shoebox place and having to downsize my lifestyle and, and everything. And so there was a lot of doubt in those moments of doubting myself. Am I doing the right thing? Am I making the right choice? Uh, and having to reconnect with like why I'm doing this and, and have hope and faith in myself and in the world. Um, Can I just drill down really quickly, if you're willing sure. to share what was the, the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of you really changing yourself and making the step to be a meditation leader in Los Angeles? Well, I don't know if it was one thing, but it was a major dissatisfaction with the life that I'd created. And um, it was ultimately recognizing that a big source of all my problems was that I didn't believe in myself and I was living a life for other people and what they wanted and what they told me was success or what was right and really feeling deeply dissatisfied with that at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it was seeing my relationships be affected by it because I was depressed. I was anxious. I was irritable. I was reactive because the world that I was living in that I'd created around me wasn't right for me. Mm-hmm. So it was easy to kind of project that out. And so I had, I had some really um, difficult times in my relationships too. And um, so it was a whole lot of things falling apart for me to go what do I really do care about? What, at the end of the day, do I even care about? Mm-hmm. I care about people. Mm-hmm. I care about communities of people who are struggling like me mm-hmm. with mental health, with feeling um, disconnected from their selves and what they truly want. And so it, it wasn't even so much that I had set out to be like, I'm going to be a teacher, but it was more like, I want to heal myself and I want to, I want to repair the neglected parts of me. And I want to step fully into being connected to my heart. And, and it just, in the process of doing that, 
uh, it felt almost unfair to not share that with the people around me who could benefit from learning from the things that I was learning. Yeah. And in doing that, realizing that this was actually a calling, you know, so I can't say it was like one single thing. Yeah. In, in the realization that you wanted to yeah, connect to the world in a different way and be a different, you know, exist in a different way. Yeah. Just wanted a what, new way of being. Yeah. Like, yeah. Had, did that come from a, and, and, well, first of all, did it come from were you able to identify that calling and how were you able to identify that calling? Say, was it with we having therapy? Were there friends that were pointing things out? Were you, you know, strapped over the knuckles somehow <laughs> saying you got to change? Or how did the, how did the motivation and the help arrive for that? <clears throat> it was mostly paying attention to what inspired me mm-hmm. and... I remember the day I realized what I wanted, that I wanted to teach meditation. I had already been putting events together and inviting this other uh, teacher, a man named Charlie Knowles, a dear friend of mine. And I had been you know, producing these events, bringing 80 people every Monday morning to meditate together in Venice Beach and bringing him down and just introducing the whole thing and feeling really excited about that, but it's also still a bit like something was missing. Mm-hmm. And it was one day I was just taking a walk and I was, and I, I had been meditating and then I just went for a walk through nature. And as I was doing that, it was like a little voice said, I want to teach the meditation. Like I, I want to do what he does. Like I want to, I want to learn from him. Like if I, because I was just really wanting to listen to like, what's for me? What's, what is my path? (laughs) What am I supposed to be doing? It was like this question that I'd been posing and it just kind of, it just popped up. It was like, this is what I want. And I remember getting so excited about it that I actually called him up and told him. And I was like, I realized I really want to learn from you. Can you mentor me? Can you teach me some things? And and uh, there wasn't a whole lot of meditation teacher trainings that then, you know, not even that long ago. But there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot available um, or accessible, rather. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was like the beginning of the journey of of like taking that choice and saying, okay, now I'm I'm going to step into something that seems really scary. I'm a risk taker at my heart, so I mm. think that might come a little bit more naturally to me than some folks, but it doesn't mean that it's not without a great deal of fear. I've had to like really muster up a lot of courage at various points in my life to step into something that really scared me. But I could tell that it also really excited me. Like the fear was mixed with this like deep inspiration and this hope that something was possible for me here. So, yeah, thanks for sharing. And it's, I think it is hard to sometimes track back to feel exactly what it is, but you know, what's the calling or what are the reasons why you were able to do this? And I sometimes thinking about the, the choose your own adventure type um, books. I know if you had those when you were a kid, but you know, you're in, I think Seattle working at Microsoft and there would have been little decisions that you could have made at different points and your life would be completely different. But here you are sitting in Bali, meditation teacher, speaker, and working, you know, 
having a reach to millions of people in a different way. And the, the thing that comes to mind is that little moment that you were in touch with something that's the little kid, you know, the little voice. Some people might say, you know, you know, where did that come from? What is it? But what you were doing at the time was you were getting still. You were being able to listen. You were blocking out noise in your life. You, 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 perhaps it was fortunate that you're interested in meditation, but there was some sort of knowledge inside you that allowed you to do that, and that gave you access to a deeper side, a deeper part of yourself, which has then allowed you to flourish. And I think for me, I've noticed that a lot of people, and obviously the society we live in is very busy, and yeah. it's, it's dominated by thoughts, noise, needing to do more and more, but we never take the time. Well, we not never. Many people don't have the time or don't make the time or aren't able to do it sufficiently enough to actually tune into those parts of our bodies. That will give us that knowledge. I don't know about you, but in terms of upbringing also, I think some people have parents or some people are in environments where they're able to have a lot of freedom and passion. They're able to explore what they really want and have the openness to do that. And others, probably the more people with like the tiger mom or whatever, are sort of pushed to do various things. Mm -hmm. There can be balances of of good, but um, for those of us who have been in environments where we've been more pushed to succeed, I think it becomes more important for us to actually take a step back and tune into what we really want because often that's lost through the process of parenting, education, striving to succeed and taking that time to actually tune into what is what is possible or what is it that your deepest self really wants. Yeah, and to to face the denial that we may be in. You know, a lot of times we're denying our feelings, we're denying our emotions, we're denying what we really want because we have this expectation about how life should be and how what we should want and how we should feel. Mm, the shoulds, mm-hmm. yeah, they come from everywhere. <laughs> so we can create this whole life, and I we hear it all the time. I, I built, you know, I got married, I had this beautiful family, I had this successful career, and I was unhappy because it's like well, we try to create this external world of what we thought would make us happy, and and really deep inside, maybe we we weren't really listening to something that we truly wanted, and um. So I had to face that within myself, and I still do. I continue to have to face that within myself when I um, you catch myself going from action to action and thing to do on my to-do. Like, I can keep myself very, very busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the MO. Like, that's like the train can go like 200 miles an hour is like a default. And so it takes a lot of effort to slow down and go, I'm just going to write and see stream of consciousness, what starts to come out. It's practices like that where I start to really learn about myself because there was a lot going on under the surface that I wasn't letting myself consciously be aware of because some part of my ego is like, mm, that's making me step outside of the comfort zone into that like space of uncertainty a little bit too much. I'd like to just stay here where I know everything mm-hmm. you know maybe we're a little bit miserable here but at least i know we're safe so we're just gonna stick here and not venture too far off so you know it's like it's it's sort of stepping just a little bit um not to say that we should overcome our egos completely i think when we live in the world we do need a healthy relationship with ego but i also believe that 
in practices like journaling and meditation and taking walks through nature and really just anytime we connect with ourselves without all the distractions uh, to, to actually face what's, what's living inside. What's the mood that's present? What are the emotions in me? What are the desires in me? <clears throat> There's so many um, ideas around desire being like a negative thing. And, and I think that when we are on the path of meditation, we have to learn how to discern between desires that stem from running a fear, mm-hmm. like running away from something or hiding from something or just based in fear. And then the desires that are based in real true inspiration and like a real calling, like, like a little pocket of energy, the gift that shows up and says, there's something here for you. Follow this. Something really like... Um, yeah, how would you yeah. differentiate between those two things? I think that's a really interesting concept. Yeah, how do you? Well, it's just like some, it's just time with listening and paying attention to what impulses come up for me. Like I'll have an impulse to take an action on something, to see someone or to move in a certain direction. And if I don't pause and think about it, I just do. But if I pause to think about what's motivating this, you know, especially if it's a big decision in my life, if I really stop to ask myself and be honest with myself, like what is truly motivating this? Am I doing this because I'm seeking approval? I'm seeking love from other people and I think that this is going to set me up to look good or to have to earn love or acceptance or validation? Um, Is it, am I doing this because I feel like it's going to keep me safe because I'm afraid of, you know, um, of, of losing something or not having enough? Is it coming from lack mentality or is it coming from like, no, I just, I want this so much and I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know that my heart wants this and I'm going to take a step forward and, you know, so that's when I can tell the difference when mm-hmm. it's just a, it's a, it's a, for lack of a better word, a feeling, um, an expansion, mm-hmm. an expansive feeling, even uh, maybe a little bit excitable because there's a, there's like a, a thrill there, a thrill of the unknown, a bit of a fear of the unknown. So it's not without its own excitation, which I think it makes it difficult, right? Because you're like, oh, is it based on fear or is it based in inspiration but inspiration can also feel like a, some excitation in the system right because anxiety yeah. anxiety can show up when we are called towards something because we're saying your body's saying i'm being called to grow and expand in ways that make me uncomfortable and so we experience it as anxiety and most of us run away from anxiety so we run away from those things mm-hmm. that would have us grow so i have to feel into am i being called to grow in this way does this really feel like something you know, some teachers say charming to me, or is it I'm doing this to feel safe and kind of hide and keep in my safety box mm-hmm. and <laughs> so that people will love me and like me and that I'll feel safe? Perhaps it's related, and I'm just wondering because this is a, you know, the listeners may be tuning in because they're on the edge of a, a big change in their life, a radical change or <clears throat> even a an incremental change that feels scary. From your point of view as a meditation teacher and coach, what is it that, how can meditation help? Like, are there any specific exercises or, you know, I think it's 
perhaps very related to what you were just saying, but um, you've got any like specific examples or practices people could do if they're on the cusp of something. If they're not sure, maybe it's fear. They're trying to, to work out whether they're running away from something or whether they're growing into something or whether they're going to destroy their lives, like mm. anything that's going to help from the meditation world. Yeah, I think less about a technique um, because techniques are really just a word to describe um, something we bring our attention to and we let our attention rest with for some time. And hopefully that is something that is uh, interesting to you, that you can be curious about and that you can enjoy spending time with, whether that's your breath or your body sensations or a sound, etc. So there's so many different techniques out there. But I think more importantly, beyond the technique, it's more of an attitude towards what else is going to show up in meditation. No matter what technique you choose to pay attention to, the underlying attitude around yourself and your mind and your emotions is the important thing to fine-tune. And many, many people come into meditation with the idea of, I need to get silent when, when they think of that, they think no thoughts. I need to have no thoughts. I need to have like almost flatlined inside. Like I just need, like that's when I'm going to feel Zen. That's when I'm going to feel peace when there's just nothing going on. Mm-hmm. But we're human beings, not robots. And we live in the world. Well, mostly likely if you're listening to this, you live in the world with, you know, bills to pay and relationships and people to care about and constant influx of demands so there's always going to be stuff happening under the surface. It's not, and it's the most common thing, isn't it? When people come to meditation, they're like, "Oh, but I can't. I've got I've too many thoughts. I can't still my mind. I try and count to ten, and I can't." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, well, you're going to keep counting for a long time <laughs> if you're going to try to get empty in your mind and you live in the world. So I just, I just urge people to kind of give up. Just throw away that notion as an experiment. You know, you can come back to it later if you decide you don't like this, but to instead do the counterintuitive thing, which is to welcome all parts of yourself, to welcome whatever shows up in the mind, in the body, the mood that's present, to really... How often do we sit there and go, what mood am I in? Sometimes it's easier for us to to sense an emotion that's happening. I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm uh, excited. But to... But a mood can be a blend of things. It can, it can be, you know, we might have a mood of victimhood. We might have a mood of heroism. We might have uh, a mood of curiosity. And um, there's so many different kinds of moods out there. So like really starting to learn to get familiar with the vocabulary of moods and the vocabulary of emotions and and where you feel to, those moods in the body. Yeah, to identify like really what is going on here. And there might be a blend of moods happening. And if I really stop and check in with that, I can go a little deeper and go, wait, okay, so I have, I have a mood of dissatisfaction. Why is that? What is going on there? Hmm, let's investigate this a little bit. And notice that is not completely trying to get rid of thoughts. That's actually a a bit of an exploration. It's kind of digging in there a little bit, getting curious, like let's go deeper and, and let's identify what do I need 
Because anytime I sit in meditation and I notice that there's something, some agitation, some per, some perturbed part of me, something that doesn't sitting quite right, and that's often right because there's all sorts of things that happen throughout life in the day Every that we kind of just kind of just let it wash over us, but really it lives inside mm. until later, like waiting to be recycled to come up. We recycle it down. So when I stop suppressing that and I really just sit with it. I can start to ask deeper questions like, where does this come from? Is there a fear under this? Is there a desire? Is there an unmet need? Is there a boundary that's been crossed? Is there something that I'm not admitting to myself or something that I'm scared to do? You know, like maybe there's an action that hasn't been taken that I've been putting off and it's creating this restlessness inside of me. And if I really sit with it, I can, I can start to contemplate, why am I, what am I afraid of? Like what, and are the thoughts that I'm having about it actually, you know, like are the assessments that I'm making, is it really fact or opinion? Mm-hmm. And we mostly find that we like, we, we believe, we believe things to be fact, you know, um, when truly we really dig in like, Maybe it's just an assessment. Maybe that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. That the worst fear that I think could happen would would it is actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's just like a I can start to question my own thoughts. Yeah. And go, is it really true? Is that really me? Is it do I really need to be identified with that? So this is the process that I go through in in meditation often is examining the thoughts that I'm having having in reassessing whether they're actually true or valid or just an opinion that's floating around, just a fear that's floating around. It's pretty much um, self-therapy. You know, you <laughs> yeah. said you wanted to be a therapist, but yeah. like when I listen, I'm like, oh, that's a CBT process. Yeah, or that's right. a, or that's a, you know, a contemplative psychodynamic process listening to your potentially trying to bring the unconscious to the conscious. Um, yeah. And it's, it's really great. But what is also needed um, is time and effort mm-hmm. and kind of coming back to what we were saying before, most people don't have that. So what you're illuminating is that we can do this by ourselves in quiet contemplation and a attitude of curiosity about ourselves and yeah. where it comes from, but it, it also takes like a dedicated bit of time. Yeah, it's okay. I'm bringing it on, bring it on. It's like this attitude... <sighs> All right, self and all the various personalities, subpersonalities in there, like show yourself, show me what's been living inside because I really truly believe in, in the process of meditation is, is a healing process because we start to release the tension, the stress, the unfinished business that's been living within us and the neglected parts pop up because it wants to be healed and it wants to release and our bodies ultimately want to be in full alignment with our best possible self and so this is all a healing part of the process. Like mine reviewing the things that may be stressed out with is actually part of the stress release process. So I get to like look at it, review it, practice staying poised and relaxed as I review those things and maybe offer compassion to myself or to ask those deeper questions, where does this come from? If I'm still confused by it or what is it that I really need? 
like ask that part, what do we, what do you need? And sometimes it's just a vent. Sometimes it's to be like hugged metaphorically Mm -hmm. to hug myself, to give myself some love and, and acceptance or some compassion. Sometimes it's just to give space to acknowledge what's there. And oftentimes that's all that's needed. And it's like, I can, I can finally let go of the things that have been held in here and start to, um, pay attention to where I'm being called to grow and take action towards that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Such wisdom. Thanks so much for sharing that. It's, um, it, it sounds like it's a process that's really evolved over the years and it's lovely that you're bringing your own piece to that as well because I think a lot of people are going to be used to the idea of meditation to be clearing the mind. I have heard yeah. it a few times, yeah, but it's really... It's a common a, notion. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and it makes sense when you think about it. You're like, oh, yeah, okay. No negative thoughts and no negative emotions must equal peace. But we try to bypass it by scourging around it and pushing it away. But really, we just push it back down inside. It's not going away. It's not transmuting that way. It's only going through it, as you know, that leads to the other side, to the breakthrough, to the release. And facing the scary monster and realizing it was just a scared little kid Mm. (laughs) inside. And... um, it's yeah. particularly important also for people who have the tendency for avoidance and whether that's like comes from an avoidant attachment style, like they're avoiding their emotions or just avoiding anything in general. And there are a lot of them um, that come to yoga mm-hmm. because it's a very, it does allow you to just get rid of your thoughts and have that moment of peace and shavasana. But I think this practice or this advice is even more important for for. I'm going to include myself in this as well because I have these tendencies as well to actually face the feelings that come up and be curious about them instead of trying to flatten them out and suppress them. Yeah, and it's not talked about enough. People think, I want to go meditate and do yoga and then all of a sudden things will just get more and more peaceful inside. And that might be true in the beginning as we like really uh, connect with our bodies and breath in a new way, but... But most people are going to find that at some point in the journey, and maybe not very far into the journey, you're going to be met with all the shadow. And, you know, you have the ascent up, but then it's followed by the descent Mm -hmm. back down to the depths of like unrooting the stuff that was there that created the mess to begin with. Mm. And if we, if we deny that process, we just kind of stay stuck and, um, and if we and if we step into that process and face ourselves and be with what's there and offer compassion to it and it's not about wallowing in the in the negativity but it's like someone that goes through grief you know when we deny the parts and we don't let ourselves feel those stages we get stuck in it longer so it's like it's harder to get to that acceptance because we didn't let ourselves feel the anger we didn't let ourselves feel the sadness or the bargaining, whatever the stages are. But um, I find that to be the case with meditation too. So much of the process of meditation for me is just a, a purge of what's been going on underneath. And it's not always hard. And sometimes it is. It depends on what's going on in my life mm-hmm. <laughs> and how much denial I've been in, how busy I've kept myself. But it also can be really beautiful because what I might find is I feel sadness that I haven't let myself feel. And then 
what might be underneath that sadness is a deep well of love. Mm. You know, I might feel sadness because I miss a family member back in America. I haven't seen them for a long time. And I know they're getting older and am I going to see them again? Um, And then feeling all the love that's underneath that. So um, that's where I think a lot of the healing can come in. And so it's it's both beautiful, exquisitely painful, and exquisitely beautiful at times. Mm -hmm. And it's the whole end of the spectrum in meditation. And so I try to, you know, reframe the idea that it's just going to be flatlined and empty because we're not brain dead. We've got a lot going on. And we can be with our full human experience. And meditation in that way becomes us sitting with our relationship to life and our relationship to everything that we care about and love every, every aspect of our life and feeling into the relationship that we have with it. And, um, and of course then we can apply a technique and bring our attention to something that, that we want to be with. And if that thing is very nurturing and nourishing to us, like maybe for some people it's the breath and for other people, it's not at all. Some people, I really love instinctive meditation something I learned from Dr. Lauren Roche, my teacher, and it's asking yourself, what makes me feel alive? What makes me feel joyful? What makes me feel safe and at home in myself? And find something that pops up and like just really immerse yourself in it like a, like a multimedia experience. Maybe it's soaking in a bathtub on a lazy Sunday and just feeling the warmth of it and the music in the air. And you can recreate that in your meditation and it's like, that's so healing. Even just sitting that in that sense memory of it for five minutes can be so relaxing but we have to know in that process of relaxing our bodies and releasing tension we've hold on to the review process has to happen some point if we don't make space for it in another part of our life like speaking with a therapist or going to a support group or having a journaling practice or taking walks in nature and reviewing all that stuff then it's going to happen in meditation because it needed to happen somewhere mm-hmm. you know so um and it might still happen in meditation, even when you are doing it at other places. Yeah. But eventually, you know, we get to a space where we've kind of worked through a lot of that backlog of what's been inside and we have more and more spaciousness. And, and it's through the welcoming that we eventually find that, the spaciousness between the thoughts, the total bliss and peace that can occur, sometimes just for split seconds, and then eventually with more and more mm. um, time. Yeah, and thank you so much for sharing that. That wisdom and, and sort of the in the context of your own personal journey as well. And I'll also bring listeners to the attention of the idea that, again, you need time. And that is somewhat of a privilege for us as people, perhaps more in the Western world. And like, you know, I've done a lot of investment in self-development. And the wonderful thing about meditation practice and journaling practices this this is all this is all free like this is stuff that can be done even if you wake up at night without you know you you, you're worried about something okay you know you can do it at the middle of the night think about what's coming into your mind open to curiosity and you know so this is stuff that's available to anyone you don't need to be able to go to the yoga barn or to hire a therapist or whatever it is. And that's one of the beautiful things about this practice. Yeah. I've got a couple of last questions for you. Um, and the first one is, I'm just wondering if there's something that you expect to be personally challenging in coming years. 
and mm-hmm. whether you're, yeah, if anything comes to mind and how you anticipate you might deal with that. Yes. Well, <laughs> um, things that I expect to be personally challenging in the coming years is an extension of what's personally challenging for me right now, mm-hmm. which is um, I'm a mom. I have a three-year-old. He just turned three. And I find uh, being a mother has brought up a lot of beauty in my life and so much love and connection with him and just seeing new parts of myself like expressed that I've always wanted to. And and then on the other flip side, it's um, not without its own pain and the pain of the impermanence of watching him grow up and knowing, oh my gosh, he's not a baby anymore. He's a toddler all of a sudden. Oh my God, he's not even a toddler. He's a little boy. Like what happened to my baby? And going, this is growing up too fast. And, you know, wanting to hold on to the way it was and not embracing the change and the beauty of what's happening right now. Um, And sometimes I can like find myself wanting to take like, photograph everything or record everything because I'm never going to get this moment again. Hmm. And there's a little bit of like a twinge of pain in that and sorrow, but also like is beauty and appreciating it. But, and I feel like being a parent for me is, is, is this, uh, all encompassing (laughs) pain and pleasure and in love all together. And, knowing that one day he's going to move out of the house or he's going to have a life of his own. He's not going to need me the way he does. You know, he still really needs me a lot at this phase. And it's something nice about that. And at some point he won't. And I'm going to have to deal with that mm-hmm. in my own way, you know, and work through that on my own. And um, so that's my personal work to do constantly. And there's always questions in my mind. Am I being a good enough mom? Am I doing the right thing? Am I making the right choices for him? And the fact of the matter is I won't be always making the right choices and I will make mistakes and I do. And that is something I also have to live with is, you know, um, especially having grown up in the family, in the life that I had growing up where my parents didn't really know what they were doing and made a lot of mistakes. And and um, so there's like a fear about um, what, you know, messing him up in some way. Mm-hmm. And then I have to, I have to, I have to turn it into going, am I loving myself fully? Like, am I, am I trying to strive for perfection? Does, is it coming from a place of like, maybe he won't love me someday because he'll be angry about the choices I made. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm setting myself up. So I have to review all these thoughts that are in there and, and reflect on it. How am I setting myself up to unrealistic expectations of perfectionism or out of fear um, and not loving myself enough and and also balancing that with the striving for excellence and for greatness and for in stepping into the potential of what's possible and so that's a that's a big area as a parent I think there's just constantly and as he starts to talk more and as he starts to push back a lot more, like dealing with my own emotional regulation because, yes. <laughs> you know, nobody can push your buttons like family can. And, um, and I foresee, you know, uh, as I get older and my parents are still alive, but I, some of them are, a couple of them are not doing well health wise. And, 
So there's this, there's this knowing that at some point I'm going to have to face letting go of people that I care about. And am I using the time that I have left with them to heal what's there, what might not have been spoken, to connect with them as much as possible so I don't have the regrets? And also just because I, am I, where have I held back on the love that I could be sharing? So I think about that a lot. And it's hard because I live far away from my family. Yeah. Also, I work with my husband. This is the other challenge. <laughs> but a lot of people ask me how that is. And I used to be like, it's so great. Now I'm like, I don't really recommend it. <laughs> it's not, it's definitely like you put yourself in a pressure cooker with another person and you're with them in a romantic sense. And then you're co-parents and then you also co-partners and work. And that's challenging to juggle those many hats and to try to do well in all those areas. And so we have our own struggles that we have to work through and continue to have to work through on a regular daily basis um, to create boundaries around work and around where the conversations are always going and have to learn to um, um, be curious about each other still and to love and accept each other for who we are and who we are becoming, not who we were in the past because we're always changing. Mm -hmm. And so I've been with him for uh, going on eight years and that is kind of showing itself as like, we need to, to learn more about each other and reinvent some things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah. So there's these challenges that I continue to face. I feel like there's going to be a world of mums and, Wives and co-workers um, that are going to identify with yeah. what you're saying there. And there's not a lot of great models out there for success in that. Mm. You know, I've been looking. And so I'd say if you're in that position, like, look for role models. And it's not easy, but it's I've, I've been making it a name to go find people who are married couples who do work together and have been together for a while and possibly even our parents to just find out like what works for you and what doesn't and, and to have these conversations out of curiosity, because I think um, we need to have more conversations and support for this because it's not something that we're really taught growing up or in schools, unless your parents are the role model for that. Um, But, you know, I have to, I have to kind of, pave the way in an uncharted territory Mm. all the time and so this is the challenge for me thanks for being so honest about that and open like again i think a lot of people are going to identify with that and there's a lot of you know on the face of it you're a you know highly successful teacher in multiple domains and it's just good to know that people go through struggles no matter what you know we all Yeah. yeah we all have our humanness and our struggles i am not exempt from that and just have tools now to be able to not deny the problems as much and to face things and work through them with a bit more emotional regulation and maturity and wisdom than I did before. But I still make a lot of mistakes and I still have to own up to them and, and pivot and, you know, strive again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, these are the things they don't teach us in, in school so much or even, yeah. or even university or wherever else we yeah. go. Thank you so much. Well, one last question, if you if anything comes to mind. I'm wondering about any unexpected um, p- 
peace or realization or truths that have become that you've become aware of recently that you didn't expect to, despite this sort of crazy pathway that you've come to be in a um, as a teacher in Bali. Okay. Yeah. Anything where you've sort of all of a sudden gone, well, I didn't expect that, you know? Yeah, well, okay. Um, like I said, I'm always having to sit there and listen deep down to what's, what is the desires of my heart underneath. And sometimes that sends me in a direction where like, but wait, everything's comfortable here. Why would we want to change it up? You know, like I'm doing really well in my life right now in terms of, career and family and life and um and when I really like am listening lately there's it's not that I want to step away from teaching meditation I love what I do but I feel this deeper calling to expand in new creative ways as well and to find where those paths overlie and so I've started um guiding dancing moving meditations and started to head more in a direction of um creating the spaces for people to discover themselves through movement and music. And, you know, now I'm thinking, well, maybe I want to, maybe I want to learn to DJ a little bit too. And that's always been a thing in my, I always joked like, oh, maybe in another life I would have been a DJ or I would have been an artist, but mm. now I'm going, why not? Who said, who, why did I tell myself like I couldn't, that couldn't be possible for me. So mm. stepping more into art and movement and dance and music as a means of expression and um and as a means of getting to know myself more deeply and helping other people be in touch with themselves more deeply and in their desires and in, in their truths and realizations so that's kind of a surprising in some ways and not surprising in other ways but more surprising that i'm actually like okay i'm gonna do this now i'm sticking stuff in this direction and um yeah that's exciting yeah so from still meditation teacher to noisy music <laughs> dance person and yeah. meditator yeah <laughs> yes yeah, exactly that's fantastic thanks for sharing that yeah um yeah well again uh Leia, thank you so much you know you've taken us on a, a journey today of where i often will ask people about well, i like to ask people about their their childhood and where they came from but i think you you know in your initial story you really explained that and it gave people a really good um background to understand that you know our, our upbringings can create there obviously there's no perfect upbringing yeah. and part of that created a desire within you to expand and want more and you you followed your the pathway which led you to work in the corporate world and then bit by bit some small changes some big changes and attuning into your heart you came to the realization that you wanted to, you know, teach uh, meditation, and you've, I, know, I know you've met your husband along there, yeah. the way, and you guys both moved to to Bali, yeah, and you've just made a real, you know, I think if I were to comment on what is perhaps the defining feature for people to listen into, and you mentioned it, is that you're you're quite courageous, like despite your anxiety or despite your um, yeah, I guess those fear about what's going to happen. You've sort of listened, you found a way to listen to yourself and follow that. And it's, I, I think it's been a combination of your, and correct me if I'm wrong, your sort of heart and your gut feelings and your your knowledge and your ability to really tune in and test what's right from wrong. And yeah, commend to you. So 
thanks for sharing your whole story with us and your tips on how perhaps other people can do the same. Yeah. Um, and whereabouts can people find you if they want to tune in on uh, platforms, etc.? Sure, yeah. So I, um, well, my website's leahsantacruz.com. That's L-E-A-H, Santa Cruz. And I also, um, in the Coach and the Voice on the Balance app, which you can find in the App Store or the Google Play Store, and it's free for the first year. So I've got hundreds of meditations both on my website and different ones in the Balance app. And um, I am here in Bali <laughs> teaching, teacher trainings and retreats. Uh, so if you ever come out to Bali, look me up. Or if you're interested in going deeper in trainings, um, that's something that I offer. And, uh, and I've recently, uh, for the last couple of years, I've had a show called Well Balanced, which is on all the different podcast channels. And nice, short, little 20-minute segments, which is talking about all things wellness. So... Yeah, different ways you can hear from me. Super, thanks so much. Um, again, absolute pleasure. And we'll be talking again soon. Thanks, Brendan. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Brendan, on The Selfie Seek. This podcast might just change your life. We hope you enjoyed the show as much as we enjoyed creating it. And if you found value in today's episode, please consider following and subscribing on our YouTube channel and your preferred podcast platform support is invaluable to us and please share this podcast with your nearest and dearest so they too can live their best most actualized